Hello and welcome back to the ninth episode of Money Talks, AltFi's monthly webinar series for 2022. Uh, my name is Oliver Smith, Managing Editor of AltFi. Now, today I'm joined, uh, I'm delighted to be joined by a fintech CEO who I've had the pleasure of interviewing a few times over the years. And at AltFi, we've covered her journey from startup to scale up and now to leading a listed uh, public company. Um, but before I introduce her, just two quick uh, bits of housekeeping. Firstly, uh, nominations are open for the annual AltFi Awards. Uh, we have 18 categories this year, from B2B FinTech of the Year through to Crypto Company of the Year. The submission deadline is Friday, the 14th of October, 2022. So if you're hoping to make a nomination, make a submission, please do not wait. The second shout out is for our next episode of Money Talks, which is on the 10th of November, where we'll be discussing 2022's biggest fintech trends in review uh, with three special guests who we haven't announced yet. Uh, you can register for that episode right now on Bright Talk, or if you subscribe to Money Talks as a podcast, which you can do at the link just below, uh, it'll be delivered straight to your smartphone. Now, the decision to float your company on the stock exchange is one of the most defining moments of any company's life. Uh, it can open you up to new investors, new opportunities, as well as new challenges. Today, we'll be exploring life as a listed fintech from finding out firsthand what life is like as the CEO from the top. Um, and to help us explore that, I'm delighted to be joined, if I bring her on screen now, uh, by Romy Soeva, the CEO and founder of Pensionbee. Welcome, Romy. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. It's great to have you here. Um, now, just for our audience, if you, as always, if you have any questions for Romy um, or about our conversation today, make sure you file them just below this screen uh, and we will tackle them at the end. Um, now, firstly, Romy, nearly 18 months as a listed company. Uh, was was an IPO was a listing always part of Pension B's plan since since the beginning? Yes, yes, it was. Um, and I do think back to those very early days when Pension B was quite literally a PowerPoint presentation. Um, and even then, we used to talk about how one day Pension B would be a listed business. I think a listing is very much part of the strategy and the approach um, and just the governance structure that a company can have for itself. Um, and let me explain that a little bit more. As a pension provider that is here to serve our customers, we think the ideal ownership structure is one of a very transparent and listed uh, type of business. And so a lot of the journey to get here was already planned out, well-known, well discussed internally as well. Um, and therefore, I think very much within our, our mindset by the time we actually decided, okay, we're gonna do this now. Okay, interesting. So it was very much the whole team was, was on board from day one. Um, now, what about the groundwork? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening in who maybe don't understand the process or, or even how it all works. But tell us, how did you get Pension B ready um, when it comes to your own sort of financials, governance, um, and company structure? I think you need to start your preparations very early on. 
I would say, uh, possibly years in advance. And the reason I say that is because I think it would be really hard to suddenly load a company with all of the requirements of being listed kind of, you know, a year or six months or even a few months before you step onto the scene. Some of the some of the conversations, some of the discussions, some of the governance committees um, that you need to put in place, those can take time. Finding the right people to be on your board can take a long time. Developing relationships and working patterns with them can take a long time. And so I think starting as early as possible is absolutely recommended so that you can grow into um, a lot of the behaviors that are expected of you as a listed business. So in our particular case, we started off with an independent board structure pretty much since inception. Um, and we knew, therefore, what the expectations would be like of us once we were listed. We already had an independent chairman. Um, we already had independent directors. And so when it came time to transition to the stage, we already had a lot of those relationships and working patterns already, already built in. Um, so I would say that was point one around, around the preparation, investing early in the board and making sure that, the, that they too are aware of this longer term plan around, around the ownership structure. Um, point one, I think point two is probably around financial preparation. Uh, there are a lot of rules and requirements for listed companies and getting your finances and your finance team in a place where they can support those requirements and can comfortably support those requirements, I think is, is key. Now, most businesses won't necessarily start off by having a chief financial officer or a finance director immediately on the founding team or even on the team in the first couple of years. Um, but starting early enough, making sure you've identified the right individual to help lead that function and that it's well resourced from a skills perspective um, and also from an experience perspective is really key. I think my main takeaway is that you want to do as much preparation as you can for being listed without disruptions to your culture and to your processes that feel inorganic. Mm, interesting. And all of those things you've mentioned, those, you know, the board and the financials, who who did you turn to for advice on how to, because there's no, I mean, I'm sure there are books on how to do it, but you know, was the London Stock Exchange helpful in this process? Were your board members, you were sort of picking board members who had experience with public companies? Where did you sort of turn to for advice? I think you need to surround yourself with the right people, um, including all of the sources that you mentioned. Um, so I think it's important that certainly that you have public company experience on your board, and that is certainly expected of a listed company. Um, I think it's also important to surround yourself with people within the business who have listed company experience or who have taken companies public. Um, and we certainly have a few members of our management team that have been involved in those processes before. The stock exchange um, can offer a lot of useful resources. And I've certainly attended multiple events uh, aimed at helping companies 
learn very early on what the things, what the work streams are that they need to think about. I think it's also critical to choose the right advisors to take you through the listing process. Uh, oftentimes, these are people that you will spend, I dare say, night and day with. <laughs> um, and, and so making those relationships early on, uh, helping them to understand your business, having engaged with them multiple times before you know, before the actual process comes around, that is that is definitely a necessary investment to make. And then my my big recommendation there is really to choose um, to choose advisors who are well experienced and well versed. So we specifically worked with um, we worked with Deloitte, we worked with Clifford Chance, we worked with KBW, um, we worked with advisors who are well briefed on this process and very committed to helping you get it right. So I think throughout the journey, you need to find. You need to find people who have that experience and and, and build them in. Mm, interesting. Um, okay, so you've got your company structured. You've got yourselves ready um, for IPO. Take us through the pre-IPO process. So I guess the roadshow, building the book. What was that like? Uh, and, and what were the kind of challenges that came on from that process? Well, interestingly, we did the entire IPO during COVID um, and there were lockdowns in place everywhere. And I think before that, people could never have imagined what it would be like to run an IPO entirely online. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually think that that brings a lot of advantages because typically during roadshows and investor meetings, you as the company are driving around in a car or taking the tube or, or some other form of transportation to get to where you need to get to and, and meeting people. And necessarily that means that you need to spend quite a lot of time traveling, which reduces the amount of time that you actually spend with potential investors. Um, so doing things online, I think is absolutely critical. And I think, gives you the opportunity to get feedback quite early on and from quite a broad array of potential investors. Um, so we started, you know, we started seeing investors fairly early on in our process. Uh, there is something called the early look uh, where we met with investors. We told them about the company and we enabled them to meet parts of the management team. Um, we told them what our objectives were and what our plans were and why we were raising capital. Um, and what we found is that our story um, and our ambitions and our growth plan with a clear path to profitability really resonated well. Um, and those that early look, that can then give you the confidence to continue into the process. So I would say, you know, focus... Uh, focus on preparation as always, take advantage of early look meetings, uh, aim to do them online because it can save a lot of time and help you meet a lot of people. Um, and yeah, and then and then I think a lot of things just sort of take on a life of their own, um, whether that's the legal work streams uh, or, you know, or the, the stock exchange work streams or the investor work streams. Um, I think, yeah, once you're surrounded with the right people, things can, you know, things can take on a life of their own. Mm. And I, I've just remembered as well, you did a retail offering through through primary bid as well. We did. We did so indeed. You, okay. And that was sort of, I guess, adjacent to this investor 
offering that you're doing for institutions um how how did that go and and would you sort of recommend people people look into doing sort of a similar retail offering i think it's really important to consider how a retail offering will fit into your overall shareholder structure and ownership structure i think if you are doing a listing it's important to have an overwhelming amount of institutional demand. Um, at the end of the day, as a listed company, you do need that sound institutional backing from very large shareholders um, who are going to be um, you know, either cornerstoning or you know, just being very, very long-term large investors in the company's share structure. So I think that, that you, know, you, you absolutely have to do that. I think then you want to consider, you know, I think then you want to consider how else do I need to build out my shareholder structure? Who else do I want to have on this journey with me? Because ultimately, as a shareholder, um, you are on a journey with the companies that, you know, that, that you invest in. And for us, it was really important to be able to include our customers in this process. We have a really long-term relationship with our customers. And for us as a business, this was a key corporate milestone. Um, and so it felt important to be able to democratize that process um, and to be able to bring and to be able to bring in um, additional shareholders. So I would say what was great about it is that you can do a lot of that online. Um, businesses are often put off by retail offerings or customer offerings or however however you want to call them because they often involve quite a lot of paperwork, um, quite a lot of sending out forms. And if you know anything about Pension B and what we do and, and how we like to get rid of paper related to pensions, then you will know that we hate forms and paperwork. So, so I think working with somebody like Primary Bid can help you achieve a lot of that online. Um, and, and yes, I mean, I think I think that every business has a responsibility to consider that um, mm. and to see, you know, see how it fits into into their shareholder structure. Mm. Well, it's been great to see companies like yourselves and others embracing the um, sort of retail offering as part of a part of their IPOs. And um, so now now, obviously, you are a listed company. Um, take us through, I guess, the opportunities this has opened up. Um, what what are I guess the pros? I mean, why was this always on your roadmap? What has it unlocked for the business now? It's always been on our roadmap because every company needs to have an ownership structure, and that's really the way that I see I see a listing. I think a lot of people see listing as an exit, um, but actually for us, very little has changed in terms of exits. You know, the management team is still the same management team. Our business plan is still the same business plan. Our customers and the people that we're looking to help are still the same. Um, so for us, it's very much about what is the appropriate ownership structure for the business. Um, and I think that if you're aiming and aspiring to be a very large financial services company that goes directly to its customers, it is important to have that level of confidence and transparency and oversight and governance of the business. And, and that's really what a listing, especially on the premium segment of the London Stock Exchange, commits you to. So I think you need to see your ownership structure as part of your overall business strategy and make sure that the ownership structure that you have in place really aligns 
with that strategy. Um, the way that independent governance, of course, aligns with our strategy is the fact that we have independent non-executive board members. We have a lot of processes in place that ensure that we as a business are always taking into account the views of many different stakeholders, um, including most importantly, of course, our customers, our shareholders, our employees, our society, um, and, and so on. And having that multi-stakeholder perspective, I think, is really the right way to think about what a listing will bring for you as a business and how that aligns ultimately with your strategy and what you aim to be um, in 5, 10, 15, 20 years time. Um, so, you know, that, you know, that is certainly one of the main reasons why we went ahead with this. I think the the second, you know, the second aspect, of course, is that through a listing, you can raise capital. Um, and we certainly raised primary capital when, when we did our listing and we used that capital and we continue to use that capital to fund our growth. Um, so making sure that, you know, you are taking advantage of that, I think is, is really important as well. And the investors that you bring on, they want to participate in that growth journey too. So it, it, it contributes to, to the alignment. Um, so you, you know, you, I think you align with your strategy, you use it to raise capital. And then I think also as a listed business, it does give you an additional platform um, with which to engage with stakeholders and with society more generally. Um, and certainly we have benefited from some profile raising of the company as a result of the listing. You get included in various different publications, um, you get coverage from equity research analysts, which can be, um, you know, very, you know, very helpful, very, um, very illuminating and can bring an additional level of transparency around the business. So overall, you know, I think the, the benefits are definitely there. I think it's just really important for people to understand what a listing actually is and why you're doing it. Um, and, and then I think it will be productive. Mm, interesting. Um, so we were talking just before we started about, um, you know, it's quarter end coming up. And my next question, I guess, is probably the most important of this discussion is, is how your role has changed. What, what, what is day to day life like as the CEO of a listed company versus what you had previously as a, as a private sort of VC funded startup? You know, that, that shift. Um, tell us, tell us what that's been like? Is it what you expected? Is it anything unexpected that's come up? Well, I, I hope that what's coming across from a lot of our discussion is that by the time you are listed, you don't want to have big changes in your day. Uh, by the time you're listed, you want to be doing all of the things that a listed company is doing well in advance. Um, so preparing yourself, actually, I think is, is, is important. Um, for me personally, I mean, you know, I, I tend to do largely the same things I used to do before. Um, I see Pension B as having a multi-stakeholder relationship with everyone that is impacted by us and by our business activities, including our customers, including our shareholders, including our board and our employees. And so I've tried to very much continue as I otherwise would do. Um, one of the things that makes us really special is, is our culture and culture is often set by what the leadership team does. So making sure that there feels 
um, you know, that, that there feels to be great continuity and ongoing kind of transparency and open lines of communication has been has been an absolute priority. Um, some some of the foundations that we laid for ourselves very early on continue to persist today. Um, so, for example, having an all-company meeting every single morning, um, having our weekly show and tell on Thursdays, um, these are time-honored traditions that I think are incredibly important and, and can certainly continue to persist um, in, in a listed company environment. So I, I would definitely approach, you know, I, I would definitely approach this um, this process of, of going public um, in that way and in terms of thinking how how can I keep things as much the same as, as possible. Of course, there are new responsibilities as well. And certainly one of the areas where we do a lot more now than we used to before is around our investor relations and investor engagement. Mm. Um, we have always had a very large shareholder base uh, and so have have gotten already quite disciplined at sending out quarterly updates and um, and making sure that everyone is, is well informed. Of course, being public takes that to a new level and making sure that you are, you know, well briefed and well prepared in terms of you know managing those communications is is key i would say especially in public businesses one of the key approaches that we come back to over and over again is doing what you said you would do um, and i think that you to really be ready to go public you have to be prepared to do what you said you would do and keep doing it and keep sticking to it um, and if you want to do something else, you need to communicate well in advance. So I think, you know, making sure that you are on board with that approach is is absolutely critical. Mm, it's interesting. So obviously, you know, startups are used to the sort of pivoting mentality of going in different directions. But as you scale up, you naturally stop doing as much of that. But when you get to the public company level, that can be quite a negative. So as you were saying, you've got to message those kinds of change, any changes you have to message quite quite strongly to the market. Um, now, before I ask my next question, just a quick reminder to our audience, we'd love to hear your questions for Romy. So if you have any, do file them and we'll tackle them at the end. Um, so we've touched on day-to-day -day life. Now, we were talking again before we started about the public markets at the moment. Um, it's fair to say it's been a challenge, you know, listing during COVID, um, you had the sort of the COVID bounce and now we're into the cost of living crisis. Um, it's been a challenging, challenging year and a half. Um, how has that been at the top? How has dealing with investors who have certain expectations, maybe staff uh, who have certain expectations and, and retail investors as well, I guess, to add in there, what, what has that been like for you? Yeah, I think as, as, as a company, as any company, you have to focus on what you can control. And for us, certainly what we can control is our operations, um, what we can control is our growth, the way that we manage the business. What we don't control really is the nature of public markets, uh, the nature of the health system, the nature of inflation, um, government policies, and all sorts of other different things that may be introduced into the mix. Um, and so as, as a business, I think it's really important to understand that the factors that are within your control are really the ones that should be you know, that should be focused on, that should be stress tested. 
um, and that should be used to manage the business. So we look at the external environment and, you know, it can certainly look challenging out there. I mean, we we manage pensions. So we, you know, we are very attuned with equity markets and with bond markets and with currencies. Um, however, what I always come back to is the long-term nature of pensions and the long-term nature of a company like Pension B. Um, as long as we keep focusing on that long-term and as long as we keep contextualizing the changes that we are experiencing today, I think that that gives us a good roadmap uh, for, for the future. You know, we have committed to certain very important things. We've committed to certain levels of growth. Um, we've committed to certain profitability timescales as well. Um, and so we remain focused on achieving those. And, you know, as I mentioned, kind of doing what we said we would do, that's, that's the paramount focus for us and, and priority. I think sometimes you need to tune out what is going on externally a little bit and just focus on on the things that you can control mm. and is that is that the same again moving from a startup where i'm sure lots of employees may have had equity in the company to a listed company where those employees now have the option to to sort of realize that if they want to but i'm sure many many are, are invested may, maybe many bought into the business even more post ipo yeah. um absolutely is the messaging sort of similar? Is it? How do you how do you sort of navigate that again, given given the context? Yeah, we um we actually have a really unique approach to share ownership. All of our employees are owners in Pension B, and they are awarded ongoing um, ongoing options and shares effectively every single year. So people keep getting invested into the company as we progress through as we progress through time. I think one of the key things to bear in mind is that, again, for for us, you know, we're incredibly long term business, and so that focus on the long term that permeates throughout our employee base as well. And we really focus on the fact that we are here to serve our customers for five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty years. Um, and again, to keep your focus on the right things, I think that that is one of the most beneficial aspects um, of being being in the business that we're in, which is pensions. Mm, fantastic. Um, you mentioned earlier about Pension B joining the premium segment of the London Stock Exchange. And I just wanted to just quickly pick your brains on that. What, what does that kind of mean for the company? And I'm sure lots of people get a bit confused. You know, IPO, I think, is is sort of well understood. But once you, once you go into those different segments, it, it kind of gets a bit confusing. What did that mean for Pension B and what is, what's the impact of that? Mm. Well, at the time of our listing, one of the primary reasons why we chose the high growth segment is because of a differential in the free float rules. So it was possible to list a smaller proportion of the business on the high growth segment than at the time it was possible to list on the premium segment. <coughs> Excuse me. Eventually, those rules were actually changed. And so I think now it makes a lot less of a difference. I think the segmentation will potentially be entirely reformed. Um, and I think that for any business that does pursue a listing, going for the going for the premium segment, which is really where, um, where I think 
you know, a lot of the additional benefits such as indexation and FTSE inclusion come from um, should be should be the ultimate goal. Interesting. I, I was not aware of those changes, so it's interesting to to learn some of that. Um, Romy, we've only got a few minutes left, so final final question from me. Um, I know one of the big changes when you become the CEO of a listed company is you have to be careful about future-looking statements. But I'm going to ask you about the future anyway. Um, what does what does the future hold for a listed pension be? If you had to sort of predict what the next say five years looks like, what 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 would you say? We're very focused on helping as many people as we can across the UK with their pensions. We've done a lot and we've grown exceptionally quickly, but every time we look out there, we still realize that there are 25 or 30 million people with pension problems. And so we are just really focused on solving those problems, on growing our customer base, on being more successful as a business, and of course, on achieving the profitability milestones that I mentioned. Fantastic. Well, you can stay tuned to altfi.com to uh, keep track of Pension B. We'll be covering their journey along the way. Um, now, I'm afraid that does wrap up our discussion for today. And it just leaves me to say a big thank you to you, our audience, uh, for joining us today and listening. Um, and of course, thank you, Romy, um, for being part of our discussion on Money Talks this month. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, now, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, we'll be back on the 10th of November live at our usual time of 11 o'clock in the morning, where we'll be looking across 2022's biggest fintech trends in review. Um, until then, have a good day. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>